VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, everyone. Yep, the ruck is back, but we start with the problem. Slotty, we're all going to Japan in a week's time. I don't know how Barnsley. we're going to do it. Oh, Barnsley's going to Australia, so there'll be no one in the studio to anchor it. Incidentally, we sent out a preliminary uh, rider last night, David Rogers, to go to Tokyo. And this is what he says about Tokyo. Just to let you know, there's a typhoon blowing. I'm on floor 33 of the hotel. It's swaying and creaking in the wind. It's like being on a cross-channel ferry. So maybe we won't go after all. So we can't record a podcast under those conditions. No, we can't. Well, it's like cross-channel ferry. Anyway, we need someone to anchor the, this great award-winning top-rating show from London. Who are we going to get? Barnsley? Well, uh, not you. I was thinking Jim Rosenthal, John Taylor, the ITV thing, but I'm not certain they're still around. Well, Claire Balding, she anchors everything, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jer- Jeremy Paxman, or he'd want too much money. He, he's busy as well. What about someone who's actually famous, well-known, maybe play for England, back row? Richard Hill's going as manager no, to no, Japan. No, come on, Hill, he's a, can't, he can't talk, no. really. What about Becky? Yeah, um, Becky? Yeah, I'm. I'm. Well, I'm good on that. Okay. Oh, well, well, hang on. What about Lawrence? <sighs> Has he got any broadcast experience? Yeah, he's on um, that BT Sport thing. Is he? Yeah. Okay. I oh, don't mind him. Yeah, he's on him. Right. Would he's he want good. too much money though? <laughs> <laughs> Should we ask him? Go on yeah, then. Come on. on, put us out of our misery. Go on, Jonesy. If you got Lawrence, a surprise, do you fancy having a crack at this? Well, I know you've, uh, you know, you you phoned everyone else and you couldn't get hold of them, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> I guess I will. Uh, I'll, I'll hold the fort while uh, you guys head off to Japan and, uh, and pave the way for the uh, for the latter stage of the tournament. Yes, I accept your kind invitation to host the Ruck. Hey! <laughs> the best players on the planet have uh, just about started to arrive in Japan to battle it out for the sport's biggest prize. And here on the Ruck, as you've kindly introduced me, we've assembled the best in our business to preview the Rugby World Cup. Next week, we'll see how hosts Japan are shaping up, as well as tournament favourites New Zealand and South Africa. But we start the first part of our Rugby World Cup preview with Eddie Jones's England, World Number One's Ireland, the Welsh, Scots and the rest of the Northern Hemisphere Challenge. I am Lawrence Delanio. Have I ever mentioned, by the way, that I did win the World Cup once, a long, long time ago? And joining me are, of course, the Times' chief rugby correspondent, Owen Slot, Stuart Barnes, uh, who's already outed me as uh, backing South Africa to win the World Cup, <laughs> and taught me everything I need to know about touring, so I'll be well-equipped in Japan when I finally arrive. And someone who described England's preparations for Japan as chaotic and the recent run of World Cup warm-up matches as a money-making charade. It is, of course, the Sunday Times legend, Stephen Jones. Gentlemen, welcome. He's doing well, isn't he? It's good. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. I always wanted him. Impressive start. Yeah. I'm yeah. trying. Listen, before we uh, get onto this, on, onto the the topic of the Rugby World Cup, it would be remiss of us not to mention, on the eve of the tournament, the tragic passing of Chester Williams uh, at the uh, age of 49, 27 caps for South Africa, real pioneer of the game. Uh, deeply, deeply sad news. One of the class of '95 and probably an influencer of. That went way, way beyond rugby, Jonesy. You yeah. know, you're a man who's covered absolutely every single rugby World Cup. Uh, a word on on Chester Williams. As soon as you got off the f- the flight in Johannesburg, Lawrence, um, 
arriving at the World Cup, you saw Chester Williams' giant face on the poster. Yeah. And by the time you got into the city on the taxi, you'd seen this poster about 10, 15 times. Obviously, a, a black guy in, in, a, in a predominantly white team in, in, a, in a Springbok squad that had always been white. In fact, aggressively white and anti-black all those years. And this guy was, was the poster darling, and quite rightly. Uh, and this beaming face of Chester Williams... All over the country, I'll never forget. Important thing, the key was, was he good enough to prove that he wasn't a token black selection? Because though we had Mandela and the Pinar six shirt and all of that brouhaha, and it was the first year out of apartheid, if you like, as Steve says, South Africa was still a fairly fiercely white bastion mm. in that country. And black players before had not been trusted. There was a sense that they hadn't merited the shirt. And Chester Williams had to come in and he had to nail it for that year and for the future. And I think, you know, the the abiding memory is Mandela and the drop goal. But Chester Williams showing, not the world, but showing South Africa that he was good enough to play, that black people could play in their national sport was massive. And when you think this World Cup now, we've got Sio Khaleesi captaining a team that you think, Lawrence, mm. are bankers to win it, South Africa, then you understand the importance of Chester Williams. You know, this captaincy goes all the way back to Williams. I mean, quick word from you. Do you I mean, uh, any memories from, from that World Cup in 95? James Small on the other wing who was a, 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 a white kid, English-speaking. I mean, he, he's an example of how complicated it was back then mm. because he wasn't an Africana, and he felt bullied when he joined the, Af joined the team. He felt that he wasn't accepted. He was an example of, of just how mixed up this whole thing was. But my other reflection was, I was 27 at the time. It was the first big tournament I ever went to. I was just crapping myself about not getting to the, mm. to the game at the right time, not getting the score right, messing up. And and all this history that was going on under my nose, I was I, I I barely noticed it. I read about it now and go, that was that's amazing. You know, I was there when the when the, when the world was changing. But all that mattered for me was I got to the game before kickoff. Well, Chester Williams certainly left his uh, mark on uh, on myself because I made my debut in, uh, against South Africa in 1995. Came on the pitch and, of course, the game had already been won by two tries scored by the great and now sadly very late Chester Williams. So if we move on to. Uh, the main protagonists from the Northern Hemisphere. If we could start with England, been an interesting uh, series of warm-up matches. You know, they go into this tournament uh, strong, uh, an impressive win over Wales with an experimental team, a record 57-15 victory over Ireland, sandwiched a narrow defeat in Cardiff, and then, of course, the 37-0 rout of Italy cemented England's status as genuine World Cup contenders in Japan. Stuart, if I could start with you, do you think England fans rightly should be excited about this England vintage? Yes, but I don't know, even with the Ireland win, whether we know that much more. We knew from the Six Nations at their best they were a match for any team in the world, but at their worst, can they find a way to win? In a funny way, everyone is saying the Italy game was a complete waste of time, but I like the fact that they were playing so poorly, were making a mess of it tactically as they did against Japan, and then Eddie Jones brought on two dynamic props instead of Marler and Cole, and it changed the way England played immediately. And, and I just get the feeling what Jones has done, he's picked teams to play a certain way. I don't think he believes tactically this team can think clearly for themselves. So I reckon this is Eddie Jones's England, just as when Japan beat South Africa, it was Eddie Jones's Japan. I think we're going to in for a period of micromanagement. Jonesy, I made the point yesterday that um, you know I felt with our team in, in 03, which was obviously a long, long time ago, we kind of knew the starting 15, apart mm. from maybe Josh Lucy, who mm. made a bit of a late run mm. um, at the end. Do you think Eddie Jones has got a clue, or England fans have a clue, who should be starting for England? I don't think the England fans have got a clue. I, don't, I think they might have their own opinions, but they don't know. I mean, tell, tell me, put your hand on your heart and tell me that when England play their first team, you know for definite who's 15, 14, 13, 12... Or ten, you might be able to name the players, but would you be able to name the jersey? I don't think you can. That, that's if there is the best team, though, Steve. And, yeah, all right, but when are we going to see it? Would you not use one game to to play your best team? You, they haven't done it. Do, uh, These combinations have not played. <clears throat> and as Donald said, Josh Lucy was the only bolter. And a year out from the World Cup, you thought they've got a great chance here. Josh comes in, 
on the summer tour to Australia and New Zealand. They played their top team. They turned over both teams and they fielded their top team all the way through. And that is how you do it. Eddie Jones has got a huge jigsaw. He's thrown all the, the bits up in the air and he hopes they come down as a team. OK, Steve, I, it's, I, it's, it's, it's I, more I think, than chaotic. I, I, I did agree with you, but Lawrence, I, I'd, I'd like to ask you, so as you say, in 03, mm. you, you, we knew exactly what the team was. You know, everyone could, rugby, rugby noises would be able to name the team straight off now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I thought that Steve was right, as in we don't know what this England team is, but I, I now see... That more what Barnes is saying is Eddie's got two or three ways of doing things. You know, he's got two. He's got two clearly different midfields. He's got Ford, Farrell, Manu, or or Farrell, uh, Manu, Slade, and he can use those when he wants them on different occasions. Likewise, the back row, he's got the, the his two kamikaze kids as he calls them, Curry and Underhill, play together. Uh, more, more speed over the ball, quicker ball retention, etc. Or if you need more power, a bit more line out, then you bring in Mark Wilson or Courtney mm. Laws and, into six. Does it really matter that that he's he, he's switched and changed and got got two or three different ways of doing things, or does it have to be best team, best team, play well, together all the time, get better? So, so when you play New Zealand and then you got South Africa, well, what should we have today? Should we have way yeah. number A mm. and number B? Yes. It doesn't work like that. Well, it on. doesn't work well, like that. Not? I think it does. Uh, I think it works like that. More more than it ever has before. Yeah, but um, what you're doing is you just, you, your selection depends on the opposition. Yeah, but Steve, Go and pick your best team. Steve, and he's never done it. But I'd agree, They've never played together. I would agree with that in the sense that in 2003, England were the world's best team. They were the one everyone was there shooting at mm. and the rest of the world had to work out a way to beat them. This team palpably is not the world's best team. Right now, I would say New Zealand and South Africa are better, and Eddie Jones has got to find a team that can beat South Africa and a team that can beat New Zealand. So he hasn't done it yet in 44 games. That's the past, but what he's trying to do now is that. England are not the best team in the world, and they've got to find a way to beat the best if we look at England's development over the last four years, and let's be honest, when, when Eddie came in, he said uh, two things. He said, we don't have any world-class players, and he said, we're not fit enough to win a, a World Cup. I think he was right on both counts. Uh, if we look at where England are now, three and a half years later, I think they've, they've moved significantly. They certainly look fit enough to win a World Cup to me. If you, looked at, if you talked about world-class players and the development of this team, there is a handful of them that would be certainly vying for, the, you know, for, for, for that status as what I call genuine world-class. To your point, Jonesy, there's been some depth into this squad which has probably only emerged in the last 12 months. And I guess given that he's tried 120 players mm. uh, in four years, you're, you, know, you are eventually going to get there in the end. But with injuries to Mako Vunapola, with injuries to Slade, um, you know, it's not been the, exactly the ideal preparation in, in that sense. Do you think the, the, the cards are quite heavily stacked in England's favour in the sense that they play Tonga first up, they play the USA second... They play Argentina third, and then they play France, you know, last in the pool game. So they have this kind of natural sort of progression in, in terms of getting better and better as the tournament moves forward. You, you, they couldn't have had a better fixture list if, if Eddie Jones had been allowed to choose his own. Mm. Honestly, it's <laughs> absolutely perfect. South Africa start with New Zealand. New Zealand start with South yeah. Africa. Scotland well, start with Ireland. Scotland start with that exactly. Yeah, it, absolutely perfect for him, and it allows the Macos and the Henry Slades and the Jack Nowells to find some fitness mm. slowly, which if you were playing New Zealand first up, you couldn't. England will get stronger as the tournament goes on because of that dynamic. So if we were to build the case for England, we'd say their chances are good uh, as long as they don't avoid any slip-ups in the group, obviously. And if they get everyone fit and available for selection come quarterfinals time, they could likely face Australia or it could be Wales. Who knows? But if they played Australia in a quarter-final and then the possibility of, say, a New Zealand in the semi-final, I think England fans are, are rightly feeling buoyant about their chances. England. Lawrence, I like, I like your, your world-class. Who, who, who's, who's, world, who's world-class in that team now? Now, that dynamic. If, if you went through that, I reckon you'd have, you'd have as many or more England, England players. If you were to pick a world 15, I think you'd have as many well, there's four locks. There's four locks, depending on who they start, yeah. and that are all world-class, in my, in my view. Craig, how many people are world-class, Lord? Because I've got four South Africans who are world-class. Got about two well, what we're saying is, play, play, I mean, you know, it's always going to be uh, down to opinion whether they're the best player in, the, in their position in the world. But I would certainly say, that if you took Laws, Launchbury, Itoji, and Cruz, that, you know, you could argue that if you were picking locks, they'd be in the top three for sure. Would you? Yeah, I totally I agree with that. I, so, I think they, been, I mean, Cruz has developed into into. He was always yeah. a very good player. Now I've, I've certainly put. You know, he had a, a backward step on the Lions tour, and then suddenly his form has gone right up there to the to the top of the tree in my mind. Mozart, Etzebet, 
Sneeman. Alan Wynne-Jones. Uh, Alan Wynne-Jones. Well, actually, the point is there. No, you haven't mentioned Leone Nakarawa. Nakarawa. Oh, no, no, I'm saying there, 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 there are other options, of no, course. I, I just but... think this is interesting. I, I, We're talking about world-class. No, no, but this is a goal. World-class, but you've got ten world-class. No, Alan Estabeth went about five years no, ago. No, no, no. no, no, no. But, but the, no, it's, what this says is is this is a, a, a golden age for, of locks. Lock, for, for lock forwards. There, there are more high-quality lock forwards going this World, world Cup than in any other position. Yeah. Well, well again, but if, if I looked at that England team, I'd say I'd put Jamie George, in, the, in the, in my opinion, the top three hooker, in right up there in the top three or four hookers in the world. Yeah. I'd certainly put a fully fit and firing Mako Vunapola yeah, right. Uh, as right up there. I'd put any two locks from four, yeah. depending on who you choose. I'd put Billy, if he's playing on top of his game and, yeah. and firing on all cylinders. I'd probably put Owen Farrell up there as well. Johnny so, May. Johnny May. I think they're, you know, and two or three years ago, you know, we weren't in that situation. We were saying maybe Owen Farrell, and that is it. And I think, what's the common denominator? Well, it's Saracens, isn't it? And what mm. have they done since uh, that dreadful night in... Uh, in Twickenham in, in 2015, well, they've all won domestic trophies, they've all won European Cups, they've all won a Grand Slam. The fall of Ireland from yeah. 2018, Grand Slam winners beating the All Blacks when Leinster was so dominant in Europe, to Saracens bouncing back, taking over, and you see England <clears throat> smashing Ireland twice and England looking probably mm. of their best, the main threat. It's uh, definitely between so Saracens and Ireland. I, I, think, I think, Lawrence, I agree, I agree with you. I think you mentioned nine players, and I agree with all of them. Eight of them are Saris. And if England win the World Cup, Eddie Jones is going to get the trophy as the coach of the year. It should be Mark McCall well, yeah, by but history. That, but isn't that, isn't, that the case, isn't that the case when the All Blacks were, were driven by the Canterbury Crusaders? Isn't it the case when England won, you know, were driven by Leicester Tigers at yeah. one point or a mixture of Tigers and Wasps? I mean, you know, we have to, we have, to have that core somewhere. Uh, um, that's the, the history of the World Cup, it almost always comes from one or two strong teams. Uh, together. Though, I, though, I mean, Jones has got a point. I think... The Saracens' contribution, it's not just a few play- more players of Saracens, it's the key, it's the spine. The Saracens' the, contribution the has enabled Eddie to muck around for four years. Yeah. And they have provided the, the spine of this team, the strength of this team, but arguably they should have Ben Spencer there as number nine. I, I'd have Alex Ozowski out of Piers Francis in that, in that yeah. squad any day of the week. Yeah, and they've, they've got Elliot Daly as well now, don't forget. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh... <laughs> but I'd just say yeah. this on Eddie Jones. He's got a plethora of talent... He's got almost too much in a way. There are so many options, and Eddie Jones, Steve, is going to earn his corn one way or the other. Mm. If he gets the right selection in the midfield, if he gets the right selection on the bench, if he gets the right selection in the back row for the big matches, if he gets it wrong, Jonesy, the world is going to be mm. jumping well, on your wave and surfing on the anti-Eddie tide. And, and not... listen, Eddie, Eddie's been talking about the World Cup for some time now, and said, <laughs> you know, that's that's when you're going to judge you're going to yeah, judge yeah, me, and and, yeah. and, he, and he's ready for that. And listen, he is a man who's. This is his fourth World Cup, is it not? Um, he's got a as, good as record a coach as well. He's been to a final and lost. He's yeah. been to a final and won. Uh, he's caused the biggest sporting upset in the, in the history of any sport. Good luck to him, and let's see how it goes. Barnsley, you mentioned Ireland. Do you think that, I mean, they are the number one side in the world, which is just a, a bit of an oddity, uh, as we all know. It was Wales um, for, for listeners, but it became Ireland when Ireland beat them recently. Uh, have they peaked too soon? By a long time. They, they scaled Everest a year too early and they're trying to get back there now and there's a great big bloody snow cloud coming and they're not going to get anywhere near the top. Despite winning three out of their four warm-up games, they, they, they lack a dynamism. Ireland in 2018 won all those little collisions on the gain line. Their tackling was fantastic. Murray and Sexton were the best half-backs in the world. Now, for a, a relatively small rugby country like Ireland to have the best nine and ten is astonishing. And they utilised it to the full. And, and I was doing one of these uh, Times Plus Readers things in Dublin. And, and, and an Irishman said to me, it's a bit like England in 2003, who won in the Southern Hemisphere, who won a Grand Slam. We beat the All Blacks, we won a Grand Slam. The difference was, you won yours in the year of the World Cup. The Irish team, unfortunately for Joe Smith and Irish fans, won it one year too early, 2018. Joe Schmidt would argue, Jonesy, that they've beaten every one of the top teams in the world, albeit in Dublin, uh, in the in the last eighteen months. So they've they've got what it takes to to beat the very best. Where do you think things have just come off the rails ever so slightly in the last in the last six months? First of all, Lawrence Johnny Sexton uh, has has lost that aura. Um, he does go down very easily now and and stay down. I think he's he's lost a bit of that aura. I'm not saying he's bottling it. Uh, secondly, Furlong, who was so great on the Lions tour and since, looks a tired man. It really does. You not get into the game. I think they're missing Robbie Henshaw. I think Conor Murray at, at scrum half has has been off form. And I think the back row are the 
absolutely pedestrian. I think Jack Conan in the back row boost them up a bit, but when they played England, they just played without a back row. You might have had three wax dummies out there. Mm. So I just think they have got capacity to get up again, mm. but as Stuart said, nowhere near the form they show when they beat yeah. South Africa. I mean, I think, I think the loss of Dan Levy was is a blow to yeah, Joe yeah, Schmidt. Yeah. There's no doubt about yeah. his presence as well, but... Uh, You'd almost argue James Ryan, talking about world-class locks, has almost become Ireland's most important player. Definitely. I think he's... If you were to do your world-class team, he's he's the one that I'd have in there, and I'd have Furlong as well, but that's more on reputation than anything else. I thought Ireland were going to get better after their Grand Slam mm. year, with this sort of young kids thing coming through, but mm. they, they seem to have lost power where they had it, and they're so reliant on Murray and Sexton being outstanding, and maybe they will click, but they won't click unless they've got a forward so, back. But, so, so what we're saying is that Ireland, perhaps not as good as their chance, their chances are not as good as they were perhaps a year ago, but then those predictions, and we're all guilty of it, maybe, yeah. we, maybe we got a bit carried away with Ireland when they beat the All Blacks, yeah. and after the recent defeats, maybe they're not as bad as perhaps people are making out. Their opening game against Scotland will be a challenging one, but surely we've got to see Ireland in the quarterfinals, haven't we? They should, yeah, they, they, should get, they should get to the quarterfinals. I think that Japan are a real threat, even though South Africa hammered them Friday, um, to one of those two teams, and it might just be Scotland. I think Ireland will probably have a, a pick-and-drive game, a controlling, conservative game, too good for them, but not good enough for the big guns. And so I think Ireland will probably make it, but you know... That game against Scotland is going to be close. Ireland have become pedestrian. New Zealand have stayed number one in the world because they always change the way they play a little bit. Mm. Ireland, 2019 to 2018, I mean, are they not pretty much the same, yeah. Steve, without the quality at halfback? Lawrence, I know, I know we're going to come on to Scotland in a minute, but it's very relevant because Scotland and Ireland, they've got to win that game. Scotland keep yeah. on being almost there, almost there. You know, they get robbed or they lose the next one by a penalty. This is their definitive game of the last 10, 20 years and the next 10 or 20 years. Scotland have got to beat Ireland in that first game. It's massive for them. So, Lawrence, just on Ireland, one of the things that, that I found really interesting is Joe Schmidt, the sort of the, the ultimate ma- master plan, if you like, didn't pick Devon Toner, who he's picked more, apparently, the stats say, more than any other player since, it, since he's been, been coached. So, one, uh, Ireland's line-out looked ropey during the warm-up games and Devon Toner's a line-out king. Two, what does it say about a coach if you're picking and picking a guy all the way through and then you drop him at the last minute? Surely if you had doubts, you should have been playing other players in that position instead. For me, he's, he's one of the, that's one of the biggest selection shocks in the whole of the World Cup build-up. Yeah, definitely one of those shocks for sure. And you don't know whether the coach has reacted to a, a, a real beating at the hands of England particularly at the hands of Itoji and Cruz, uh, or whether this is something that's steadily been but, on the cards. But and, Turner and I, wasn't playing in that and I, game. I, but I, but they've, they've got some line-out issues, haven't they? Oh, they had some line-out issues. I mean, I, f- I found it astonishing uh, when you look at it that a player who was man of the match against the All Blacks and then has gone from being left, you know, to being left out of the squad, particularly, slightly controversially, to what we would call a project player who's been brought mm. over from South Africa. And I think that's where... Can the, of worms. That's, well, that's a fact. That's <laughs> where the Irish public are going, hold on a minute, this guy's given us heart and soul. But yeah. as a player who, who got old very quickly, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we have to respect coach Joe Schmidt. He must have seen something. Some players go, get old gradually. Some players with age, they fall over a cliff. Now, all I can only imagine is that Devon Toner has suddenly got old very, very quickly. Yeah. And whatever... whatever um, Joe Schmidt has seen in training uh, is enough to suggest that he hasn't got what mm. it takes to, to take them to a world And Cup. you've got to remember, Owen, when you said suddenly out of the blue, he's left his bloke out who's done so much for them. Jean Klein was not available until mm. we entered the blue. You know, it's only August that he actually became eligible to play for Ireland. And therefore, one assumes that Joe Schmidt had him in his mind for years. But, you know, there was that moment until he was Irish... Inverted commas. How, how did you get him. old, Barnsley? Lawrence said he got old very quickly. You, oh, you, you, I, 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 no, I got old looking after Lawrence on the 1994 <laughs> tour of South Africa. He kept wanting to go into casinos. I kept saying, no, lol, you've got a career ahead of you. Mine's coming to an end. Out we go. Yeah, you uh, never you never substituted me off the pitch, though, Barnsley. <laughs> you? you definitely kept me in the squad, that's for sure, particularly when uh, when the nights got later. But I knew I was getting old because the, the substitutions uh, ball went up earlier and earlier and earlier, really. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I... I <clears throat> 
much as we're talking slightly gloomily about Ireland, I, I saw enough in uh, in Tyg Furlong against Wales to suggest that he's got the bit back between his teeth. I think with James Ryan fit, when they get their first 15 out on the pitch, I, I really believe that they will come out of that group and I think they'll be strong. Mm. The question marks I have, which ha- which surfaced in the last World Cup, is when they lose Sexton, they lose one or two other players, they lost to Hermione in the last World Cup, they lost one or two players, have they got the depth to challenge in the quarterfinals and beyond. A pro-Irish comment. They haven't got a chance of winning it. They haven't got the depth or the dynamism to go all the way. But if South Africa are to beat New Zealand on that first Saturday and Ireland the next day beat Scotland and top the pool, Ireland, I I cannot see them winning the World Cup. But there's one, you know, New Zealand may be the best team in the world, but there's a couple of teams who are not scared of them that can beat them. And Ireland are Mm. one of them. And it's entirely feasible in this World Cup. I don't think seven or eight teams can win it, but I think seven or eight teams could beat each other and it is feasible that on their day, Ireland could go and knock out New Zealand and then find themselves victim in the semi. I don't know. Jonesy, the last word on Ireland to you? I put too much faith in them probably after the All Blacks. I've lost faith now and it'll be the comeback of all time. And don't forget to, maybe we should end on this note, Rory Best being a magnificent captain, but clearly at at the moment, it is a a real... um, Mm. Um, Joe Schmidt's got a big problem there because Rory Best is clearly not the best hooker in the team. That brings us neatly on to to Wales. Wales, um, gentlemen, as you well know, have suffered the worst run of results um, of the home nations in the warm-up campaign. We'll talk about Warren Gatland in a second, but uh, they did come off the back of a run of 14 straight consecutive victories and, of course, the Grand Slam. They seem to have bounced back from defeat at Twickenham against the English, although worryingly failed to beat Ireland in those two fixtures. Would you say that they've suffered the hardest with injuries, losing both Toby Faletau and Gareth Ainscombe, and perhaps it's they've lost the X factor uh, that they had before the tournament in terms of being able to actually go there and win it? I have a problem with them, I always have. I, I, I didn't think they'd win the Grand Slam when they did. When they won the Grand Slam, this sounds terrible, but I didn't think they would kick on. There was one man, not two, there was one man who is so outstanding that he could have given something extra to the team that won the Grand Slam, and that's clearly Toby Faletau, Telepe Faletau. And Scum, I'm, I'm afraid they've got a, a bigger character there than Dan Bigger, and I think that it is a shocking uh, blow for them not to have Faletau there. But even though Warren Gatlin Lawrence has got the ability to make the teams clearly more than the sum of the parts, he's done it many, many times, I just don't think that without Toby they've got enough power and I don't think they've got enough creativity to knock over people uh, when it comes to the knockout stages. Oh, and at their best, did Wales beat Australia in that pool match uh, on the on the 29th of September? I think so. I mean, you, you mentioned that they've had a, a pretty rum uh, World Cup warm-up campaign. One of the things going in this World Cup is we don't really know what a warm-up campaign is all about and, and, and what conclusions to take from it. We, Wales almost always, well, they tend to have really poor autumns and go and we go, oh, Wales are on a bit of a low and then, then, then they arise for the Six Nations. So I think Gatlin knows, he knows how to get a team to rise for the occasion as we know so well from Lions and, and Wales. So I do think they, they, at their best, they could and should beat Australia. I wonder about what Jonesy said about the, the one player that would give them a lift from their, from their Grand Slam to make them better. And he, he said that Falatau would be that man. I wonder if Reese Webb's that man. You know, to, to, talk about people you can't believe is going to the World Cup. I just, I, I am astonished. I, I just thought all the way along this year, I thought there's somewhere in the World Cup storyline, it's going to be phone calls gone through to, to Toulon and we found a way to, to, to get Reese Webb in. I can't believe they haven't done it. Wales, to me, remind me of a sort of 1970s Italian World Cup football team. I see you smiling there, the old Italian blood yeah, there. Absolutely. Um, brilliant defence, blunt. You watch them and you think they can't go all the way and win it because they don't do anything positive. But in World Cup rugby, defences, by and large, you look at it, it is defences that come out on top. And Wales, with Edwards at the helm, will have a very powerful defence. And if they can just find a way to score a couple of tries, they're a team, I think, whose finishing position will eclipse what I think of as their ability. I don't think they're World Cup winners, but I think they can go an awfully long way because of their ability to defend and just the odd strike from a North or a Davis yeah, I mean, I think we, we have to pay respect to their recent World Cup form. I think they have the talent to go all the way. But similar to the question I raised about Ireland, do they have the squad depth yeah. uh, 
uh, to take them. They didn't have the squad depth in 2015. Mm. They narrowly lost that game against South Africa, and it remains to be seen. Now that they've lost Fallatown, they've lost Anscombe, is all the pressure on Alan Wynne Jones? Is he the guy that's going to carry them forward, or, or I mean, who are the key players for them? Do well, you see? It. This way, Lawrence, you wouldn't want Alan Wynne to go off after five minutes of the first game. Yeah. I, can, I can't see him scoring enough tries. I can't see. I, I, I actually what, can't what, see what how they, they can do it. Is, what they're hinting is, look, I am sure this is true of all the sides. They're not really concentrated on their attack, or at least they've not shown people their, their, their moves. When you've got Liam Williams fullback, who's probably one of their only great players, George North and Josh Adams on the wing and Jonathan Davis in the centre, there must be something more okay, to them than a, we've seen. A, on, on their missing players, you, you think of Faletau out. I mean, they could have, they could have had a, a back row of Faletau, Sam mm-hmm. Warburton and Ellis Jenkins. Age, uh, experience, dynamism, mm-hmm. youth... And none of those three players are going. Still, Tipperick, Navidi and and Moriarty. It's smart because Alan Wynne-Jones operates like a breakdown forward at the breakdown. He's so good. And I tell you Mm. now, I think if Wales play England in a quarterfinal, and that's a big possibility, that is one of the biggest, if not biggest, stumbling block to England's hopes. England will not fancy Wales in Japan, I don't think. I mean, we have to say that, you know, given what Warren Gatland has done for Welsh rugby, this has got to be their best chance of winning a a Rugby World Cup under his tenure, obviously because he won't be there after the World Cup, Mm. but they made the knockout stages last time. And, you know, is he playing a bit of kidology in these warm-up games? He seems to think that they're in the right frame of mind and they're good enough to go all the way. I think Warren is confident and genuinely so. I I really do. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We talked about Scotland a little bit earlier on, and obviously we know that they're in that in the same pool as Ireland. It's been in, it's been a bit of a mixed bag for Gregor Townsend, isn't it? He's had it probably suffered quite quite seriously with a few injuries. He goes into that you know, campaign. Has he got his selection right? A lot of people were quite surprised by the omission of Hugh Jones in particular in the centre. Is there a bit of uncertainty with Scotland um, at this time of year? There's still uncertainty with Gregor, you know. One of the great thinkers on the game as a player, he wants to expand Scotland. He knows they can't dominate a slow, static game. He's got a brilliant seven in Hamish Watson. He's got Finn Russell there. Again, a man who can play at pace. He can't get himself away from Laidlaw. Laidlaw represents the goal kicker and the conservatism. And I think Gregor still sees international rugby as an incremental three points here, three points there. And and, and if you're South Africa or if you're England or Wales, maybe you can do it. I don't think Scotland can. And I think Gregor is still searching for who he is as a coach. And the omission of of Northampton's Rory Hutchison, who is an outstanding player, really took me by surprise Mm. and suggested that Scotland are going to try and be solid rather than expansive. Owen, you talked about the warm-up games. Scotland, I don't know whether they just got the teams that were left, but they played France (laughs) twice and they played Georgia Georgia twice. twice, And I just wonder, how much can you learn as a coach about those particular warm-up games probably not as much as your competitors that's for sure as you say it was almost as if they were last last at the table to 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 fix up their to do their fixture list as i said before the, the whole warm-up game farago has, has just been weird to watch and really hard to, to draw conclusions from the, every coach in every game will will be trying to achieve certain things i think they should all have been limited to three games at the most and, and we should almost have that set in stone for the future. Uh, where where Scotland are, I th- 
I, I, I kind of think Scotland are, are, are a team that can cause one big surprise mm. rather than put together a big campaign. When you see their pool, and obviously the Ireland game, but you've got Japan and Samoa. Now, listen, I watched Samoa against Australia, yeah. and whilst they weren't competitive for 80 minutes... Um, they put together a decent 40 minutes uh, and they can cause some problems as we England fans well remember. So uh, you'd expect Scotland to, to you know, to, to come out of the pool, but uh, nothing certain in that group, is it? Samoa will, will need, a, they've probably got one great performance in them. That might be against Scotland. I, I don't think Australia are any fools anymore. And I thought that game did show them in, in a better light. Then you come down to whether or not they've got the with the, the, the power to add to the mana in, in Samoa. And they've got a great World Cup record. Mm. But the sad thing to, for me is, actually, to be honest, with all these teams, some of these teams, or in fact all the teams, are not really any better now than they were in mm. 1987. Mm. And that is very sad and a blight on the game. So what we're saying is we think Scotland can emerge out of the group, but maybe beating either the All Blacks or Springboks in a knockout stage might be a game too far. Exactly, yeah. I, I think with Japan and Samoa there, I think Scotland or Japan are ripe for being the giant killing in the World Cup. I, and I think it may be Scotland. Japan are going to be tough on the very last game. They've got a schedule that is made for them to rest up every single game. They start with Russia, they finish with Scotland, everything is exactly as they want it. If Scotland get bashed up by Samoa six days before, even if they come through, they have one of those Pacific Island physical games, then Japan might just be waiting for them. I think it's going to be tough for Scotland. Okay, that's enough on Scotland. Uh, If we move on to France, um, you know, who are in England's group along with Argentina, USA and Tonga, we've stopped sort of talking about France just because every time we mention them, they either surprise us or they spectacularly uh, fail us. And, uh, you know, their warm-up games are a a sort of a a mirror of that, really. They were excellent in uh, in Nice in beating uh, Scotland and then they went the following week and lost to the same opposition. When you look at their squad, and, and I've had a really good look at it, and you look at their backs in particular, you think, wow, there's some really exciting players in that squad. But the question is, do they know who's in charge? I'm not quite so sure. Off the field or on the field? And have they got what it takes to beat uh, or cause a really big upset? And I think you know, if they beat England or they beat Argentina, well, maybe less so Argentina, but if they beat England, it would be a huge upset. But absolutely massive upset and totally unexpected. I think we've almost stopped now saying you never know with France because actually at the moment... We do know. The answer to who's in charge, Lawrence, is uh, Bernard Laporte keeps on saying that the, the man in charge and the head coach and the head man is still Jacques Brunel. All the players say that Fabien Gaultier is calling all the shots in mm. the team room. So that, that, that's not the best way to go into a World Cup. I still think it, they'll be slightly less, less shambolic than usual. I still think they'll be shambolic. M- my sources in France, a.k.a. Richard is Hill. S-A-U-C. Is that, the house of Bo- is that the House of Bordeaux sources. or the House of Bollinger? Uh, or? Yeah, well, Richard, Richard Hill, the former Bath and England captain, he's got decent connections with yeah, the wine industry, it's true. He, he makes he's coaching in Rouen now, and he makes the point. He, he says the French rugby public. It almost feels as if they're saying, "Well, we'll get this one out of the way. We're hosted in 20, 20, 2023 and we'll build for that." Uh, and there's very much a sense in France that they've lost all faith in the national team, and mm. there's also a sense um, that the team have lost a little bit of faith in themselves. And if you put that lack of belief. And you don't win World Cups without lack of belief. You put mm. that together with the fact they do not have a fly half worth their salt at test match level, they cannot win, they can't beat England. Owen, would you, would you concur with the view that they play, they're playing a different game of rugby in France and it's, it's not the game that they play at international level and by that I mean their type five, to me, <coughs> do not look fit enough to win a World Cup? Yeah, that, that's why maybe in the World Cup they could do something different because, well, they've had, like everyone else, they've had months to prepare, etc. So so maybe they, they'll be fitter than they are in, in Six Nations and Autumn campaigns. So many maybes. Jones makes the point, oh, is, is it Galtier or is it Brunel in charge? France do well in World Cups when, when they, there's a, a whiff of revolution in the team. You know, they've been to two finals, and both times was, was when the players turned on their coaches and basically said, right, we've had enough of this, we're running it ourselves. And you know, you, you, that's sort of effectively what's happened with, with Brunel here. The, the, the bottom line is that there's, there's no form or history or, or experience to say that they, should do, that they should do anything, and they probably shouldn't, but one, two years away under Galtier and they'll probably win the Grand Slam in 2021 but, but, or something. But Galtier's record had coach Montpellier 
He stropped and sulked on the touchline. Biggest budget team in France at the time, they were awful. He went to Toulon, he stropped and sulked on the touchline... Okay. Uh, oversaw. But Barnes has got a fair failure. point there. He's got a very fair point. You're right. useless. Yeah. Given the state of Argentina's scrum at the moment, which has got to be a concern yeah. for all Pumas fans, um, you could see France winning that game um, yeah. in, you know, in, in who knows what weather conditions and, and come out of the pool and, and, then, and find themselves in, in a knockout game against, say, Wales or, or Aussie or Australia. So uh, I wouldn't write the French off just yet. And I, and I have to say, if, if you look at their squad list and you look at their back line, and you have to say that if you're a forward, if you can win any decent possession, that is a backline that might cause some teams a few problems. Well, they do have a new Fijian winger on the end of the uh, backline, don't they? Raka, who is one player that Saracens are feared of. I, I like the fact also that the great Lawrence Delalio, Steve, is finally understanding that it's backs that matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he didn't know they were any. Yeah, not when he played. <laughs> so now, now, now he, worship, the, now he worships them. Well, when I, the I say, I say, like I say a back line, but as you know, with with all French nines, it's a question of him actually passing them the ball because uh, <laughs> yeah. they do tend to just want to kick it up in the air and uh, and stick it up the jumper. Well, he forwards. runs quite fast, though, doesn't he? Dupont, exactly. he's a good one. So listen, by last but by no means least, um, as a uh, half Italian myself, uh, it brings us on to Conor O'Shea's Italy. It's a real tough, tough one for Italy. Um, and he's found the same challenges as every other coach who's coached Italy. Has he made any impact with them? I would argue that even in 37-0 defeat against England, I thought for 40 minutes they actually defended like a proper Tier 1 nation. The problem they have, again, is that they just seem to tail off in the last 20 minutes of matches against the, uh, the more superior opposition. So what could be considered a successful World Cup for Conor O'Shea, Mike Catt and Italy? Just to beat the minnows, really, to put the minnows away, and then maybe in style, Steve, uh, in style, and then yeah. maybe competitive against the top teams. But their world rec- their World Cup record on is, is terrible. Well, just but to, just I, to I, remind I, everyone, they're, they're in the same pool as New Zealand and yeah. South Africa, which, which no is just what, what's uh, in a success itself. for them. It, it, well, is is manning up against New Zealand and South Africa, well, and, one of them, and not be and not being disgraced, but losing to New Zealand and South Africa by less than thirty points. You know, that, there, that there's no way they'll do that. There's no way they can do that. Well, well, and, then, and, then, both... and then on the flip side of that, beating Canada and Namibia by a similar margin. Well, yes, well, yes, well, exactly. They start with Namibia exactly. and Canada and they have to win and they have to win well for the future of Italian rugby mm. because if they then go and get half centuries against them, South Africa and New Zealand, then Italian rugby fans are going, what is this game all about? I, I think there's a chance that the first one they play, they might chuck everything at it with their best team and go down by 30 points, having been 15 points down with 10 to go. But the last one, I think that'll be the end. They'll have injuries. Depth is not good enough. But what Lawrence says is I agree. They did defend much better in, yeah. in Newcastle. but but And, and they, they seem to have depth in forwards because when they brought their third team on in the second half, they looked better. But when were they ever going to score? They, could, no, they, they were no, never going to score a no. try. They didn't look like it. They didn't know how to. But also, they couldn't even get the pressure on long enough to kick a penalty goal. And it, even, it was, at their, even, at their, them. even at their best, like arguably they were against England for a fair while, they defend and defend, but at the end, there's, an av- there's a 10-minute avalanche yeah, when, they're, right. when they're just, right. they've just had it. Because that's, that's how they're playing. They, 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 the defence is gone. Right, gents, it's come to that time where I think we've given all the Northern Hemisphere nations a fair crack of the whip there. We've uh, been on our little whistle-stop tour. If I had to push you, I've got five questions I'd like all of you to answer if you could, and I'm, I'll do the same. Uh, we'll start with the winners of the Japan 2019 Rugby World Cup. Jonesy. South Africa. Oh, no. South Africa. <laughs> well, I, I, I wish he'd come to me first, but if I if I was putting money on anyone, it'd be South Africa. Well, that's well, a what, clean sweep because you, I mentioned well, South what Africa. What if he came to you first? Would you say something different? <laughs> no, but then it would seem original. Lawrence, you can't say South Africa because the editor of the Times likes some variety in his uh, predictions. Okay. Well, yeah, I, but hang on. So you've got to, I said, you've got to go with Namibia. He said South Africa in the paper. My now heart you, will always say England, but my, um, my headline uh, will say South Africa. My bookmaker and me will say South Africa. Well, listen, are we agree that there's only... that. The, though we say this is the most competitive World Cup yeah. of all time, I think only three teams can win it. Well, I think there's a whiff of unpredictability, and that's the first time we've said that in, in any World Cup for a while, because uh, none of us have mentioned the mighty New Zealand All Blacks. Um, so are we saying that they are uh, definitely not going to win the World Cup? <laughs> finished. So, finished. So in that case, that brings us on to who will be the runners-up. 
Uh, well, it's the All Blacks who haven't got a chance. I think they'll lose to South Africa in the first game, and they might even beat them in the first game, but I think South Africa will beat New Zealand in the final. I think South Africa, Lawrence, in, in a rampagingly brilliant final against England. Well, I, just for what it's worth, I think England will make it through to the final. I think they'll beat the All Blacks, because I think the All Blacks will be too good for South Africa in the first game, but I think South Africa will rally, and they mm. will end up being in the final against England. I think that uh, New Zealand will beat South Africa... Uh, in in the group game, that means England will play South Africa in the semi final, and we get a New Zealand South Africa final again, which South Africa will win. Okay, we've uh, we've really warmed to all our friends in Wales, <laughs> Scotland, and Ireland with that prediction. Well, um, I just think there are only three teams that can win it. I think England. Do you South know, wouldn't Africa, it be sad though? This was meant to be this Northern Hemisphere World Cup. We're going to win. It'd be really sad if New Zealand South Africa is the final. Exciting. Yeah. It really exciting. Look, it is exciting. Well, but uh, it'd be lovely to have an, uh, a new name on the trophy. New, that's absolutely, for sure. Absolutely. I think well, I think Wales could win. I don't think it's three. I think it's four. But I don't think they will. Okay, a team that will surprise us at this Rugby World Cup. And by that, I don't mean necessarily a Tier 2 nation that's going to cause a massive upset, although that may well be on the cards. You know, is there someone that we've discussed that will overachieve based on what we've, we've, we've said? Australia. We haven't mentioned them. They've got a great World Cup record. Checker is an extremely smart coach. They've got powerful pacey backs. Like you, Lawrence, I recognise the importance of a back line. I'm going Australia to make the semis. So what you're saying is they're going to win a knockout game that people don't expect them to win. Interesting. Yeah. Owen? Fiji. They're a team that don't play together for four years, don't know each other. World Cup's the only time they get time together. They get better and better through campaigns where they have time together. And their last game in their World Cup uh, pool, pool stage, 13th of October, Wales. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think they'll win it, but if they played if they played it six times, I think they'd win it two, two, two out of the six. Well, we're going to have Ben Ryan on our next episode of The Ruck, and I'm sure he'll be delighted to, uh, to hear that, Owen, and uh, we'll get his views on how he thinks Fiji are going to go. I'm going to push on with Samoa because I saw enough in their performance for about 30 to 40 minutes against the Wallabies to suggest that they've got a decent game in them. I know from my own experience in 2003 when we were staring down the barrel, and I expect them to cause one decent upset. Jonesy? My ups- upsetters are Fiji. The only time I've ever wept with joy uh, after a rugby match, uh, apart from when Leicester Tigers lose, is that <laughs> I um, was when Wales beat, uh, lost to Fiji in Nantes in 2007. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen, and I think Fiji are in that mood. Well, gentlemen, I'm going to surprise you now and ask you to pick one forward and one back that uh, you feel we will be talking about and all rugby fans will be talking about maybe at the beginning of the tournament, but certainly by the end of the tournament. And I will go first, just to give you a little bit more think time. I'm going to be patriotic and go with Billy Vanapola as the number eight. I think it's his time. He missed out on the Lions tour, very sadly, through injury. He's played all four warm-up games. Is Kieran Reid still the best number eight in the world? I hope and I think by the end of this Rugby World Cup that Billy Vanapola will be that man. And as a back, I'm going to go with a French back, Damien Penault. I'm really looking mm. forward to seeing him play. I hope he gets enough ball. Uh, he's, a, he's a different type of rugby player to the modern day back uh, in that he's got a bit of a wiry frame and you, you know, plays with enormous amounts of skill and I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. Which position would you have him in? Penno. Well, whatever position I put him in, Gautier probably plays somewhere completely <laughs> yeah, different. Absolutely so it no remains chance. totally no, irrelevant. Right, as long yeah. as it's not scrum half and fly half, who wants to go first? Owen? All right. Can I, am I allowed two forwards? No, uh, no, no. just one of Come each. On, make your mind up. Okay. I mean, I know they look the same these days, but uh, you're only allowed one of each. If I was, if I was um, the second forward, I'm not allowed is Hamish Watson. Um, but I will go. I'll go with England as well. Uh, I think Jamie George is a player who rises to the occasion. I think he knows this is his time. I think he's outstanding. Uh, he's got a head for for the big occasion. So he'd be my forward. And um, just sort of following on from the Fiji thing, I'm going to pick a back that um, uh, we don't really know much about. He's never played outside of Fiji, but if Fiji is to go well, then they need a scrum half to go well. And uh, Frank Lamani is a uh, little known and might just be outstanding. Stuart, anyone from uh, that, that we wouldn't have expected you to say? I think if you follow Southern Hemisphere, it won't be a shock. But if you're just a, a regular fan of rugby... I think the name Stephen Kitsoff probably doesn't mean a lot to you. South African prop forward, I think he's uh, going to be a dominant presence in this World Cup. 
going into it talking about Mako Vunapola, if he gets the fit, I think Kits off, is just destructive and is going to be a key man. And the, and the people that really matter, the backs for you? And the people that really matter, the backs for me. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, for a great big game line busting monster and I'm going to go for Samu Karevi of Australia. Mm. If he gets his defence right, Australia are going to be a really hard team to beat. Whatever he does with his defence, he will cause mayhem with other teams' defence. He's a great carrier. I could just say a word for Dale Ende in the it's that Springbok um, backs because yeah. I think he's so dependable and I think he's got a brain as well. And one or two of them haven't got a rugby brain. But my back is Semi Radrada. Randrandra. My my back is Semi. Shut up. <laughs> Do you speak Fijian or not? Well, I can Se- pronounce it, yeah. Semi Randrandra. 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 Right. My back. Is Damien de Allende. <laughs> yes. You haven't had any sake, I promise you. And my forward is a, a being from another planet, Maritoje. He just cannot, they cannot stop him. Uh, the All Blacks tried him, couldn't. Uh, he's got the, the, the sort of demeanour of an angel and uh, he plays like a beast. And he has not yet had his career dip. I think I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the environment. Wonderful, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Final question. If you had one Rugby World Cup wish for Japan 2019, what would it be? Oh, OK, I'll say something sort of, uh, that, that, that isn't in the sort of the fun tone of the occasion. Sam Warburton interview in the Times on Saturday, he was deeply worried that the game at some point was going to be hit by a player dying on the pitch in a TV game and that was going to be there for the world to see. Is that going to happen in the World Cup? Almost definitely not. But I just think that... The game is at a point where it's in an existential crisis. Is it fit for the future? Is it fit for, for, for kids to play, for professionals to play? My hope is that we get through this World Cup with it being a great advertisement for the sport, that people see what a great sport it is and we don't see people being stretched off, that we don't see massive injuries, that we see a game that's refereed and managed properly so that the players are safe. Stuart? I'd like some pretty terrible weather conditions, not too bad to impact upon the journalists travelling around Japan and the fans, but bad enough so that rugby fans will realise that we are living through an age of climate crisis. We tend to be very, very content with ourselves, rugby supporters. It'd be nice to just think, through this wonderful tournament that is going to evolve over the next several weeks, we think about something else as well. So I think a typhoon, but one that's not too bad, but one to make Mm. us think. Mine is a bit of a personal one, but we know that it's going to be teeming with people we know that japan and, and especially tokyo are very difficult to get around uh, we know that the taxi drivers don't speak english we know that the shinkansen the, the bullet train is very difficult to work out so what i want is before we go the people who run google maps when you s- switch it on and when you put in your destination there's an arrow to say which way you're facing because otherwise <laughs> i keep on going three miles the other way and saying oh it was five minutes away now it's an hour away so Google Maps, you've got to find somewhere to, for us to point and then we'll be all right. Otherwise, we might never be seen again. My thanks to Owen Slot, to Stuart Barnes and to Stephen Jones. Next time on The Ruck, we'll complete our preview of the Rugby World Cup. We'll ask if the All Blacks can retain the title, if South Africa are genuine favourites, as we all seem to think they are, if Japan can mount a credible challenge, and we'll be joined by Ben Ryan and Michael Liner to take a look at the rest of the contenders from down under. listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.